good to be up here. I haven't, I haven't preached in a little while. What's up, Harry? You look good, dude. Yeah. Uh, all right, you may not have recognized it today, uh, but you are entering into the bigger story right now. Maybe you felt it. It may have been lost on you when you woke up, dealt with the chaos of getting your family here in the car, navigating the parking lot. But you are entering into the bigger story. It might have slipped your mind when you were greeted at the door, grabbed a cup of coffee, tried to bypass the awkward small talk. You're entering a bigger story. So before I really jump in this morning, I just want to tell you, well done. And thank you. You made it. You are right on time. Take a deep breath. There's nowhere else you need to be than right here, and there is no one else you need to be than you. All right. In 1961, a group of men and women felt compelled to offer a strong Christian church in Boulder. And so they started a church plant in the space on Pearl Street. The church continued to grow, and in 1967, they decided it was time to own a building. So they purchased a property off 55th and Baseline Road, and through the next 20 years, the church expanded so much it was time to move again. So they sold their building, began praying, and looking for a facility that could host the people. For over two years, they prayed, searched, and held worship services out of Boulder and Fairview High School. It was church in a box, packing and unpacking week after week, every Sunday, but continuing to pursue the call that God entrusted to them. And then in 1991, they purchased land for the construction of a building that would mark the next stage of their church's history. And after nearly two years of construction, they held a groundbreaking ceremony where they invited everyone from the congregation to plow the ground. They literally had a plow, had people hold a rope and pull this plow. It marked the new season for that church, and it was a celebration for the people who had been together for 30 years. And the building that was constructed over the next two years happens to be the one that you find yourself in this morning. Because that church is Boulder Valley Christian Church. That church is our history, and for the next 30 years, this church has met right here at 7100 South Boulder Road. And Jesus has continued to use this place and these people to strengthen families, to serve our community, to send out missionaries, to champion kids and students, to serve kids in foster care, and to help people of all ages, backgrounds, and skin colors become more like Jesus. And as our community surpassed the 60-year mark, God started to move again in new ways for this next season. On October 31st, 2021, we once more went out to the land and pulled a plow. Only this time, it was not for the construction of a building, but the construction of the hearts of this family. It was the birth of until everyone belongs. It was a physical representation and a prayer for God to come and break the hearts of his people. It was a prayer that God may awaken a generation of those so desperate for him, that he may stir in us an unsatiable longing for life, that he would pour out his spirit on his sons and daughters, that our old men would dream dreams, that our young men would have visions, that he would wake up the women in the middle of the night and whisper to them, come away with me, my darling. It was a prayer that we would be a people who are much more concerned with what God is building in us than anything he could build through us. And after plowing that field, we laid wildflower seeds down as a physical representation of what Jesus said 
when he said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The scattering of seed was a declaration that the rumors of this church being dead and lifeless are wrong. It was a commitment that this church has life woven into the foundations because it's God's church. And God never abandons his bride. And now, here we are, two years later in that familiar sermon series. It's the next story of our collective story. It's the series that we did that kicked off that plowing. It's called Boulder Valley DNA. And it's an annual opportunity for us to celebrate who we are, who God is, what he's done. It's a chance for us to dream together. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at where we've been, why we exist, how we behave, and when we'll succeed. And if you're new here, this is probably the best series that you can come to to figure out if this is the church for you. More than any other, it's going to give you a clear picture. It's like a boot camp of our community and our church. You're probably asking questions of, do I see myself here? Do I like these people? Can my kids connect here? Do I want to merge my story with this story? This series, above all the other ones that we do in these 12 months, is going to give you that clarity. And especially those last two weeks, because they've become a tradition, sort of. It's a time we cast vision for the next year of where we're going. Two years ago, it was plowing the field. If you remember last year, it was when Matt got up on the stage and talked about paying off the mortgage. This year, well, you're just going to have to come and see. Because that's the last week. But this week, we're looking at where have we been. Because to know where we're going, we must first know where we've come from. Now, for some of us, these last 12 months are a great reason to rejoice. It may have been the birth of our first child, the years of a longing for a spouse culminating in a new marriage, a promotion or fulfillment at work. Overall, things have gone well for us. We've lived a life well-led, and it's been enjoyable, full of adventure, joy, laughter, happiness. We've been healed physically, sexually, spiritually, or emotionally. We've been freed from shame or addiction. We've truly experienced the covenantal love of God. We've tasted, really tasted, the good life. And so when someone like me mentions looking back on your life over the last year, you have no complaints. And instead, you may even lead you to a posture of grateful worship, a posture of thankfulness to the one who's responsible for all of it. It is a joy because. We are joyful because of God, a joy because things have gone well for us. A joy because of how we have responded with integrity. A joy because of the pleasure. We are nothing but recipients of a lavish and extravagant love from our Heavenly Father. But for some of us, when I mention remembering this last year, you cringe. Because for you, it was not full of joy. It was not a year to celebrate, but one you'd like to forget. For you, it was a year drenched in suffering. For you, it was the year you lost your best friend, the year the cancer diagnosis returned, the year you relapsed into old addictions, the year you went on medication for your mental health, the year you continued to deal with the martial fire, and the year you felt so overwhelmed with shame you questioned whether or not all this was even worth it. And for you, if you're honest, it's a miracle that you even found yourself here this morning. You had enough courage to walk through those doors. 
because if you're truly honest with yourself, you're out of ideas, and you're at the end of your rope, and maybe this Jesus thing is your last chance. For some of us, this year has exhausted your hope. And if that's you, I say to you again, there's nowhere else you need to be than right here. There's no one else you need to be than just yourself. Take a deep breath. You're entering into the bigger story. And for you, God still wants to give you a joy, but it may not be from a joy of because, because things have not gone well for you. And you just need a reason to believe again. You need reason to hope despite the suffering, reason to have faith regardless of the year you've had. For you, you need a joy despite the suffering, a joy notwithstanding. But there's a fallacy in this dynamic of suffering and joy, one that says that they're at odds with each other, that in this life you either have joy or you have suffering. And it's our goal to avoid suffering at all costs, to do everything we can by whatever means necessary to get rid of it. And most of us are convinced that if we direct our funds and our time in the right way, that we can mitigate that. We can numb it down. We can maybe even numb it out completely. And so we distract ourselves through overindulgence so we don't feel the discomfort. Now, much has been said about this, but far less has been said about the connection between suffering and joy. That there's actually a mutualistic relationship between the two. That suffering and joy are actually not two ends on a spectrum, but two sides to the same coin. That coin is called love. In reality, suffering and joy are interconnected and in what makes part of this life so worth living and so beautiful. That as the psalmist says, those who sow in tears will reap in songs of joy. Jürgen Moltmann is one such person who agrees. He's a German theologian. And he talks about this dynamic between joy and suffering. And I read this quote that I think is awesome. It's a little long, but it's, it's worth it. So check this out. It says, but are joy and protest, happiness and pain, laughter and tears true opposites? I don't believe they are. The secret of life is love. In love, we go out of ourselves and lay ourselves open to all the experiences of life. In the love of life, we become happy and vulnerable at the same time. In love, we can be happy and sad. In love, we can laugh and weep. In love, we can rejoice and must protest at the same time. The more deeply love draws us into life, the more alive and simultaneously, the more capable of sorrow we become. That is the dialectic of the affirmed and loved life. We can't have the first without the second. We can easily make the counterproof when we are wounded and resigned and withdraw love from life. We lose interest in living and become apathetic. Then we no longer feel the disappointments, the injustice, and the pains, but we don't really live anymore either. And I love this. We are spiritually petrified, and our hearts turn to stone. Nothing touches us either, neither good nor evil. And that is the first step on the road to death. It is the death of the soul, which goes ahead of the death of the person. Suffering and joy. The two are interconnected in love. We cannot selectively inhibit one without petrifying our heart. But even this is good news. Because it means that instead of running from suffering through overindulgence or distraction, we can accept it as a prerequisite for joy. And so, even for those of us who have suffered, we're still able to have joy. Not because of our sufferings, like some weird masochists, but because we have a joy despite our circumstances. 
a joy despite our suffering. It's a because of love, because we know our present circumstances are not the barometer of God's love, and this love gives us a joy notwithstanding, a joy that transcends the present sufferings of our day. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's well and good, Tyler, but that, that doesn't bring my friend back to life. That doesn't heal me of my addictions. That doesn't cure me of my shame. That doesn't change my circumstances. Isn't that just wishful thinking? So what could you possibly offer me? Psalm 7711 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. What can I offer you? What I can offer you is a chance to remember. And that word remember appears over 200 times in the Old and New Testament. In Hebrew, it's the word zakar, which is actually kind of interesting. It's the same root word where we get kind of the word male in Hebrew as well, in the Genesis account and kind of throughout the Old Testament. But it appears in some of the most well-known Bible passages, from its appearance in the Ten Commandments, if you remember this. Uh, remember the Sabbath day. It's kind of the one that gets forgotten a lot. To one of Jesus' final words in communion. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembering is scattered throughout the Bible and is a core principle for the people of God. It seems that God knew long before the British writer Samuel Johnson penned this. People need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. We are a forgetful people. But one of the best remedies to our forgetfulness is to intentionally remember. One of the best ways to have a joy because or a joy notwithstanding is to remember. To remember where we've been. Because it is in remembrance we gain perspective that there is reason for joy. It is in remembrance we recognize the great mercy and grace of God. It is in remembrance that we can honestly grieve, lament, and honor the sufferings we've endured. It is in remembrance that we become a people of praise not to cheaply deny our sufferings and wrap them in a cliche that says everything happens for a reason, but to enter into the mystery and to engage in joy because or joy notwithstanding. It is in remembrance that we allow the wellspring of life to bubble up in us and convince us that if he did it before, he actually can do it again. It's in remembrance that we gain the faith to fight our battles. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, whatever else may glide into oblivion, the marvelous works of the Lord in the ancient days must not be suffered to be forgotten. Memory is a fit handmaid for faith. And so here is what we're going to do. We're going to remember together, collectively. We're going to remember where have we been. Because remembering helps us stay connected to the bigger story, to where the Holy Spirit is moving, both in your individual life and in our collective life, in our church. Remembering gives us the perspective and strength to fight our battles today by reminding us where the true battle lies. Remembering is an act of war. It is in recognizing the pain and triumphs in our lives and boldly declaring that they are not more true than God's love for us. Through remembering, we are giving permission for the deeds of God to well up in our hearts as our battle cry. A battle cry that says, you are enough for me, King Jesus. 
So I'm going to open up a few minutes for us to share, for all of us, if you want. A few people are going to be walking around. They're going to have microphones. And if you'd like to share, share just raise your hand. Uh, someone will come by and give you a microphone. And you can just stand up where you're at and kind of share what you want. And if you don't know where to begin, maybe think about answering one of the following questions. What are you thankful for? Where did you persevere? Where have you seen God show up? I'll ask that you keep it somewhat short, but that you share what's needed to remember, to have a joy because or a joy notwithstanding. And when it feels right, I'm going to close us. But I suspect that as I've been talking, the Holy Spirit has brought to mind some stories from this last year. Would I just suggest one more thing? What if those stories aren't just for you? What if they're for us? What if they are to bolster all of us? What if they are the stories of this church? The stories that pull our gaze up and give us hope. What if by sharing your story, you remind those of us who are weak that we can lean on another's strength? So let's begin. Let's have the courage to share. Let's do as Psalm 77 says, and remember the deeds of the Lord. Good morning, church. Um, when Tyler was saying love, it brought me back to 25 years ago when I was on my knees in my room in Portland, Oregon, asking God to take away my addiction, to take away the wrongs that I had done. And he, it was an amazing, I was just me and my knees in my room with God, and at that time I had not even accepted Christ or had been baptized. And that moment I felt such a love, and that love, by his grace, has carried me to 25 years of sobriety that I celebrated June 14th of this year. So it does, it is love, it is love. Hello, church. Um, I am just reminded of the, the trip that we made to Panama. I got to be a leader on that trip, and there are so many things to be grateful for, but there's been a, a, a theme this year, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to embarrass my younger brothers here a little bit, um, but I am just so grateful um, for the friendship that I have with these guys, and while it can be leaders, our parents, the experiences that they've had with any type of curriculum or their time that they've spent in the Word, it is uh, truly God's providence that uh, all my younger brothers have decided to follow Christ. And that just makes me so happy. And I'm just so glad that they've grown up in the church and with the church that they have. And that these brothers aren't just my brothers, but also my friends. That's awesome. Uh, this side's winning three to nothing.
I remember uh, a few years back I was diagnosed with bladder cancer. And it certainly wasn't life-threatening, but the doctor told me the different options should I have to lose my bladder, and they were devastating. And they devastated me, and I was just overwhelmed and would rather have had it kill me rather than have to go through what I would might have to go through. And I was here at this church one Sunday, and the Lord spoke to me and reminded me of a saying that my friend said to himself when he had cancer. He said, you know, God is in charge of your body, but you're in charge of how you deal with it. And that just consumed me that Sunday, and I just said, Lord, you have to do what you have to do, and I have to just accept whatever it is in love. And as it turned out, I, didn't, I got rid of the cancer. I didn't have to lose my bladder, and life is good. But it was just that Sunday and that overwhelming feeling of love from the Lord that says, John, I'll take care of your body. You figure out how you're going to deal with it. And, and I did, and it was just absolute love from the Lord that caused that. Um, four to nothing, I think, on this side. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the last couple of years have brought all kinds of joy and suffering. Tyler, to your point, um, you know, two years ago, my wife Jess and I um, started asking the Lord to bring us a child, and the early rounds said no. Um, and the third time, God really came through and really provided, and uh, this little boy back here, Paxton, is our first, and he's just a testament of the Lord's faithfulness. Um, and I think for me, in the last year of ups and downs, w one thing that's been really surprising to me is the journey that the Lord's taken us on in our marriage and the ways that he's, he's uh, brought healing and the ways that he's brought new joy uh, to our relationship through Paxton. Um, and for me, you know, I think, Tyler, you said, uh, um, you know, we're a forgetful people. And I think I had forgotten what it's like to be a son. Um, and in bringing Paxton into my life, ironically, as I get to be a father, I also get to see more of what it's like to be fathered by God. Uh, and that's just been a beautiful journey. And now we have uh, this little joy bomb who reminds us every day how happy he is to be in our life. Uh, and we are so reminded on, on how happy, uh, you know, we are to get to do the journey with him. So, uh, yeah, I want to thank some people in the church who were there two years ago and are just as much in our life now. Um, and God is so faithful and so good. Yeah. Well, this church has lots of connections with Christianity, other, other organizations and things. And when I came here in you know, 2017, I didn't have any other kind of outside interests at that point. But somebody here um, sort of asked if I would like to join this chat room ministry from the Billy Graham Association. I had never done anything like that before, but it, it just intrigued me. I took the training. I've been at it a couple of years now, and I was never, ever an evangelist. Now, I'm an evangelist. <laughs> I 
uh, I've come to love the gospel more because I'm sharing it. Mm -hmm. That's just my advice is share the gospel, you will fall in love even more with the gospel. All right, back here in the back. Thanks. Um, I'm not a member of this church because I live in Chicago, <laughs> but um, I've been here for quite a while. So um, I just want to thank you because you guys are amazing. My son has been sick, and I reached out when I was in Chicago on your prayer chain. I got an instant response. Pastor Matt reached out to me and asked what he could do. His small group is so amazing. Keep doing what you're doing, guys. You guys are God in action. Um, wow. Sorry, guys. I have a loud voice anyways. <laughs> um, just making sure everyone's awake. Pastor Matt, the last couple weeks in our series before this, was talking about um, coming out of hiding. Are you showing
Last one here. Yeah, go for it. Uh, I'll never forget uh, uh, joining the worship team when I was in middle school and playing drums up there. And uh, I've just been following, chasing that ever since. Thanks to God and thanks to this community and church. I'll never forget playing drums with Matt down in Mexico. I'll never forget, it, yeah. <laughs> forget that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I wanted to share that. Oh, I just wanted to share. Uh, and one of the most exciting things in my musical career is happening tomorrow. And Red Rocks with my band. So and I just wanted to share that with you. Heck yeah. That's awesome. We could go all day with those stories. I could listen to those all day. Uh, don't let it stop here. You know, we're, we are forgetful people, but we don't need to be. We can be sharing stories. We can be a people of remembrance. We can do this all the time. And it's so helpful. So I'm going to invite the, the worship team back up. But these stories stand on the shoulders of 60 years of this church's history because you are that church. And your story is our story. Most importantly, though, these are God's story of this house. He is the author. And he's just getting started. So let me close with just some of the numbers from the last 12 months. Some are a, a joy because, and some are a joy notwithstanding. But as I speak the numbers, know that each one represents a story, and one that is our story. 
I'm sure there's many I've missed, but all of these represent a choice of someone who entered into that bigger story. One home built in Mexico, 25 to Israel, 105 kids at Eagle Lake, 32 to Panama, 15 to middle school camp, 163 in life groups, 48% increase in social media engagement, one mortgage paid off, $100,000 more received than spent, ultimate journey with 11 signed up, two cycles of launch with 46 attending, one group of elders becoming a leadership council, two major staff changes, 11 new members, and 17 baptisms. Father, would you teach us to be a people of remembrance? That we would remember who you are, that you are the author, that our story is not done as long as it's in your hands. And we trust you. Teach us to remember where we've been. We love you, Jesus. Amen.